Yeah, a lawyer studies law. Okay, so you don't have it. I guess law. not. Law. Law. So I don't. I can't even really pronounce Kristen it myself. Kristen has a problem with this sound. From the Newman Vertical Campus in New York City, this is Just To Be Clear, a podcast by the Tools for Clear Speech program at Baruch College and the City University of New York. Okay, welcome to the first episode of Just To Be Clear. This is a project by the Tools for Clear Speech program here at Baruch College, and I'm your host, Kim Edmonds. And I'm DJ Dolak, the director of the Tools for Clear Speech program. We're producing this show because we really, really care about what it means to speak a second language. And we mean to speak it out loud to other people who also speak that language. TFCS works with students, faculty, and staff at Baruch whose first language is something other than English and who play valued roles in our diverse, inclusive New York City campus. So if you've ever tried to learn or speak a second language, you know it can be really challenging but also really rewarding. And if you've ever tried to teach second language oral communication, you know how complex the skill is. Students and teachers, they all have these kinds of questions. Why can speaking a second language be so difficult? Is there any way to get better or faster? Is my pronunciation correct? How much does an accent matter? What exactly do I say to the boss I offended, the friend I can't meet tonight, or the professor I need to see after class? And nowhere are these questions more critical than in an academic setting where discourse and dialogue are key to learning. With this podcast, what we want to do is share our knowledge with a wider community of learners, of English teachers, administrators, and everyone else who has a stake in global education. In each episode, we'll focus on a big question in second language learning and showcase conversations with professionals in the field. We'll also talk to a Baruch College student whose first language is not English. We'll learn more about their background, their motivations for pursuing a degree in New York City, the challenges they've overcome to get here, and their plans for the future. From Baruch College and the City University of New York, this is Just To Be Clear, the podcast that's exploring oral communication and second language learning. Welcome to the show. People are surprisingly good at recognizing when someone is speaking with an accent. For example, one study in the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America found that native English speakers were able to detect a non-native accent in just a single syllable of speech. I'm sorry, but did you say a single syllable of speech? That's right. That's what they found in the study. That's kind of hard to believe. I thought so too, and so I decided it might be a good idea to try to recreate this study in kind Mm -hmm. of a really informal way and see if you can do the same thing that their participants did. All right, that sounds great. All right, so what they did was they presented these syllables, one by a native speaker, one by a non-native speaker, in pairs to their participants. And the participant had to make a forced choice. Which one of these syllables was spoken by a native speaker? Okay. So I've got three pairs of syllables here for you. Um, Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Two. Two. Hmm. I would say the first one is the native speaker. You're correct. All right. All right. Okay, next one. Mm-hmm. A little 
So more difficult, but I'd say the second one is the native speaker. You're right again. Oh, I'm so good at this. You're on a roll. Okay. <laughs> you ready for the last one? I am. All right. TV. TV. Hmm. That one I feel like is a little easier, but now that I've said it, I might get it wrong. But I think the first one is the native speaker. You're right. Again, three out of three on that one. Why did you fun. think that one was a little harder or a little easier, I guess? I can't tell you why. I, mm. I just heard it that way. Some quality of their voice, you know? This is what I guess we're reacting to. Yeah, it's very interesting. What makes it even more interesting is that even though we're really good at noticing accents, it can be hard to figure out what an accent actually is. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Tristan Thorne, my fellow curriculum specialist here at TFCS. We're going to try to answer a few important questions, like what exactly is an accent? What does it really say, if anything, about how well a person speaks their second language? How is having an accent different from and similar to being intelligible? And finally, what is a realistic goal for a language learner working on his or her oral communication? That's all coming up on Just To Be Clear. Okay, I'm here with Tristan, and since this is the first episode of our podcast, we're going to be talking about two fundamental concepts, accent and intelligibility. Basically, we want to differentiate those two ideas and explain what each one has to do with speaking a second language. Cool. How you doing, Tristan? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being here. So I think it makes sense to start with accent and what an accent is, since that's a term that most people are used to hearing. Yeah. So I have a question. Uh, you're from California originally. Yes. Has anyone ever said that you have an accent? Uh, no, not really. At least not until I came to the East Coast. Oh, yeah. Right. So I, I think that most people don't really think about the idea that they have an accent until mm -hmm. they move to a place uh, where their first language is, is not the same accent as, as their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm from Northern California. So there's a little bit of a difference between a Northern California and Southern California mm -hmm. accent, but it's it's almost the same. Mm. Um, and with respect to uh, the East Coast accents, it's it's pretty similar. Mm -hmm. uh, like everybody understands what I say, um, but there is right. one there's one vowel that I don't have. That, oh, that's right. Do you know what vowel it is? Aw. Yeah, it's awe, whatever, <laughs> right? And and can you give me a couple example words that have that vowel? I caught the ball. Yeah, and and what do you drink every morning? We'd like a, a lemon with some tea now, and, and I like a, cheese, a cheeseburger and some coffee. Well, I don't say coffee the way oh, you, you don't say, say coffee. I say coffee. Or um, yeah, a lawyer studies law. Okay, so you don't have it. I guess law. not. Law. 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 Uh, so I don't, I can't even really pronounce Tristan it myself. Tristan has a problem with this sound. I don't even know, I can't even predict when it will be pronounced and when it won't be. But it's, it's again, it's not a big deal because mm -hmm. if I say law instead of law, mm -hmm. everybody knows what I'm saying. Right. More or less. Yeah, there isn't any issue understanding you because you're totally intelligible to most English speakers. Right, so when when we talk about intelligibility, these are kind of two different concepts, right. accent and intelligibility. You know, with respect to accent, we're talking about um, the way your speech sounds, and it's usually an indicator of where you're from. Mm -hmm. So some people can guess that I'm from California. They they even say that I speak more slowly, which 
um, almost sounds offensive. A little but, bit. Yeah. I get that a lot like about I'm, the South, too. Yeah, like I'm a little relaxed. Um, <laughs> so, for example, I can't really say awe very well. Mm-hmm. So that's an indicator of my accent. Mm-hmm. Um, but intelligibility is really about um, can you communicate a message clearly? Can, right. Can the listener understand what you're saying? So, right. you know, if I had low intelligibility, people would not be able to understand what I'm saying. Right, exactly. So accent and intelligibility are related but different, you know, and we've talked a lot about regional accents of English specifically, but there are also non-native accents. Mm -hmm. And a non-native accent um, is basically what happens when your first language, the way that you speak that language, you know, shows up and manifests itself in your second language or your second language is. So, you know, you might have trouble with some sounds or um, some speech patterns that just don't show up. They don't appear in your first language. And that's where an accent comes from. Sure. But for anybody, even, you know, if you speak a regional accent of a language or you speak with an accent from your first language, um, a realistic goal and an achievable goal is to have very high intelligibility, like, like you were saying. And an accent may or may not affect that. Yes. Has anyone ever okay. Before we keep going, I want to explain what we mean by native and non-native speaker. These terms can be pretty controversial. Keeping in mind the many varieties of English spoken by people around the world, it's getting harder and harder to really define who a native speaker is anyway. As linguists and educators, we want our work to reflect the realities of how language works in the world, not force our own definitions. But because these terms are so recognizable, we're using native to refer to someone who learned English as a first language and non-native to refer to someone whose first language is something other than English. So we say that accent and intelligibility are kind of independent things, but they can affect each other. So if right. you you can have a really strong accent and be 100% intelligible. Absolutely. Um, I think one, one good example for, for us Americans is we're we're pretty familiar with like the Spanish accents, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Latin American accents due mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the high um, Latino population in the United States. Right. So uh, do you watch Modern Family? Um, are you talking about uh, Gloria? You try speaking in another language, everybody out of my house. Yeah, Gloria, yeah. right? So the actor Sofia Vergara, she has that heavy Colombian accent, right? Right. Uh, and yet we can understand basically everything she says. Right. Except for the comedic kind of the, the intentional mispronunciations. Right, that they put right? in there on purpose. So she has a, a really heavy accent. And yet, you know, they would not have her on the show if the audience could not understand her. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good example of somebody who has a really strong accent and yet is highly intelligible. Exactly. And so it's it's very possible to be completely intelligible and intelligibility is something that you can work on independently and with with teachers and other people if you are a second language speaker of English mm-hmm. or any other language. Um, research has shown, like Tristan said, that you can have a strong accent and also you know, be completely understood by another person. Another really important thing to keep in mind is that communication is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. The person who's listening to you is also involved in this conversation, and the two uh, people who are talking, they have to sort of what's called negotiate meaning. They have mm. to arrive at these conclusions together. And so I think, for example, Tristan was talking about exposure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, People who are second language teachers or people who live in really diverse areas like New York City, they get a lot of exposure. And so um, they have more experience doing this two-way street communication thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there a, an English accent that for you is very hard to understand? 
You know, for a little while, there was a video circulating somewhere on YouTube um, mm-hmm. of a young man in Northern Ireland, I think it was, uh-huh. um, talking about he was being interviewed on the local news about um, walking to school. Oh, God, it's desperate. God, the mountains is brave and close now, right enough. Oh, God, it's oh, wild time of the snow, all right. That was challenging. Yeah, because there's not a lot of, you don't have a lot of Northern Irish friends, I suppose. No, not really. Yeah. I, for me, it's the same thing. Um, I have a really hard time with Scottish accents. Mm. I lived in southern Spain for a little bit, and in there's Scottish tiny, people in southern Spain. There, there is a retirement community <laughs> in this tiny town that I lived in um, of people from the UK, and some many of them are Scottish. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, so I went. I used to go to this gym, and there was this kind of older Scottish man, and he would always approach me every time I was at the gym, and he had some sort of joke for me. <laughs> But I'm not, I think it was a joke because he would talk for a little while and then he would look at me and he'd have uh, like a mischievous grin, like he was saying like an off-color joke or something. And I figured out it was a joke because Mm -hmm. even though I had no idea what he was saying, (laughs) I would just laugh uh, Mm -hmm. after he stopped speaking Mm -hmm. and then he he looked satisfied and he would walk away. So (laughs) for me, it's like the Scottish accents are really, really difficult to understand. Yeah, and again, it's because you just... Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time around exactly, people with exactly. Scottish accents. Right. So there's a there's an interesting range out there. Mm. So the exposure is really important. So we also have to think about the idea of if you f- if you're concerned about your intelligibility now, um, what can you do as a learner or a speaker of a second language to make sure that your intelligibility is working for you and the people that you interact with on a daily basis? How can you improve your intelligibility? Well, I think the first thing is the awareness that maybe you do have some issues with intelligibility. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for us, we have a lot of students who come to us saying that, you know, their friends or a professor or something has told them that they can't, they're having a hard time understanding them. Mm -hmm. So this kind of recognition that maybe there is some sort of challenge with respect to intelligibility is Mm -hmm. a good step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really related to uh, to your level of motivation too, and and also sure. what you have to what your tasks are that you have to do in your daily life, and so definitely right the the scope to which you feel like you need to improve should you know measure you should measure that against what you need to do the tasks that you have to accomplish with your spoken English exactly, and so you really want to focus on the things that are going to be the most relevant and important for you. Um, whether that be your studies or if it's a job that you have and you need to, you know, be able to be intelligible in that context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so really it's um, it's a case of um, prioritization. Sure. So I guess, for example, a person who works at a coffee shop during the day and maybe goes to law school part-time would want to focus on being intelligible when helping customers and explaining the menu and also on, you know, specialized legal terms and expectations for lawyer talk. And it's interesting because it also can depend on the community that you're in. So let's say um, some people from China are speaking in English to each other, Um, they might they probably will understand each other more when they're speaking in English because they they kind of, you know, understand that accent Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, the words that they pronounce um, differently from, let's say, um, somebody from New York. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely that as well. And if we look at the history of pronunciation instruction, you know, it tended to be pretty uh, strict, I guess. Mm -hmm. Sort of lockstep. Yeah. Like a I say, you say, I say, you say. Exactly. Like in the old audiolingual method. So, please repeat. The first line is, the woman says, good morning. Good morning. 
Good morning. Good morning. The salesman says, Good morning. Would you like to have the cleanest house in town? Good morning. Would you like to have the cleanest house in town? Okay. Which it turns out is really not all that effective at improving intelligibility, because it's really only half of what you need. You also need feedback and meaningful processing. That's really important. Feedback is really important, and it's not to say that um, you know. Obviously, pronunciation. When you're working to improve your pronunciation, you still need a lot of repetition、right. with the audiolingual method. For example, they they had a lot of repetition, but I think one of the issues is there there wasn't this connection to、um, you know communicative tasks and and the underlying reasons for why we're、mm-hmm. um, working on pronunciation.、Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, historically. It tended to focus only on segmental sounds, right? Right.、And、so consonant, single consonant sounds or vowel sounds, and、mm-hmm. like t or ah、uh, or sh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think、um, starting in in the early mid '90s, people started to focus more on teaching the super segmentals. Right. So super segmentals are kind of you can think of them as bigger picture aspects of pronunciation and and speaking. So you might, for English, for example, some of the major types of super segmentals that you want to be able to to recognize and use、um, would be something like intonation.、Mm-hmm. So the change in pitch of your voice、um, over the over the course of a sentence. Do you have rising intonation? Do you have falling intonation? Or you might have the idea of rhythm, for example.、Mm. Yeah, th- and those are great. And I think now we kind of have a balanced view where we appreciate the importance of、mm-hmm. consonant sounds and vowel sounds,、mm-hmm. um, and also these super segmental、um, aspects.、Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, you know, with respect to consonant sounds and vowel sounds, it used to be kind of just teaching whatever, right?、Mm-hmm. So often. You know, one of the most commonly taught sounds used to be the the th sound, right? Like the th or the v, right? Right,、um, because it's it's kind of an easier sound to teach, right? You have to put your tongue between your teeth.、Mm-hmm. Very physically aware of it. And and it wasn't until I believe the mid '90s、uh, where a researcher came up with the term、uh, functional load. Right. So. Functional load basically helps us choose which English sounds to focus on when teaching and learning, because it turns out some sounds like the th sound, the th, don't actually play that big of a role in intelligibility. So you could replace th with d in a lot of cases and still be understood because th and d have a relatively low functional load. But some pairs of sounds like l and r or l and r play a big role. In distinguishing lots of different words from one another, like light and right, steel and steer, fire and file, so we say ul and er have a high functional load, and so we emphasize them in pronunciation teaching. That's right. So、uh, now we focus. We do sometimes focus on the th sound,、um, but only when it's、um, it impedes intelligibility. Right. We don't right. focus so much on. The cosmetic nature of pronunciation, right?、Um, so something for consonants. You know, we have a lot of students from southern China,、mm-hmm. and、uh, one of those consonant contrasts that are that I find to be fascinating、mm-hmm. are the 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 n the n versus the l l,、mm-hmm. and how you know one of the, basically the only difference or the most significant difference is the airflow, right? right? For the n, it's coming out of the nose, and for the l. Uh, your tongue's in basically the same position, but the air is coming out of your mouth. Right. Which is, you know, crazy. That I just thought that everybody 
could do that. Do that without thinking. Yeah. But it takes some conscious effort at first to, to feel and learn these differences. But once you do and you start to do, as you were saying earlier, some of that repetition, mm-hmm. training uh, the, the articulators in, in your mouth and your nose, I guess, um, then it becomes easier and you can you can more easily produce the difference between something like nice and lice, which mm-hmm. is definitely something you want to produce the difference between. Exactly. So now that we know about a little bit about functional load mm-hmm. more, you know, you can, you can have a clearer target for what you focus right. on with your intelligibility. Exactly, having a clear goal. And you know, with, with pronunciation teaching and having more intelligible speech, a lot of it is getting, getting feedback, right? Mm. Um, a lot of times you don't know the challenges that you have, mm-hmm. um, which is why you know, we, have, we record students and we have students watch themselves to, to raise awareness. And mm-hmm. we give them models and um, to practice, you know, shadowing people. So, right. So watching somebody else speak, for example, on a TED talk and then, you know, pretending that they're that person and trying mm-hmm. to match the, the intonation patterns and things like that. Right, right. I have a question. Yeah. Um, so why is it, why not just tell people, you know, if, if a student comes in and wants to change their accent, why, why would we just try to discourage that? I mean, besides what we've talked about already. Well... That's a really good question. Um, we do. We have students who come in and they say, "I want to sound American, mm-hmm. and I, I need to reduce my accent." And we do try to avoid that kind of that kind of way of talking about it because, well, a couple of things. First of all, like we said earlier, you you can have an accent and still be perfectly intelligible. So it's not that that's going to impede your communication necessarily. Mm-hmm. Also, um, it's actually very difficult to completely eliminate an accent. Um, It is. Right. So research has essentially shown that for most people who begin to learn a second language after puberty or as an adult, Mm -hmm. they're they're going to have some kind of accent for for their entire life most Mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's a really unrealistic goal. And what we said earlier about um, choosing particular contexts and types of speaking tasks that are relevant to you and then focusing on your particular challenges is a much more efficient Mm-hmm. Um, and productive way to achieve uh, better intelligibility. Definitely. Yeah. So I think that that probably wraps up everything that we wanted to say in this segment. Yeah. Um, and we've we've hopefully uh, explained a few things. Um, but if you are you still have questions, there's going to be some materials posted alongside this episode and some links to other things on our website. Um, so Tristan, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Good to talk to you, and um, we'll see you next time. So that was Tristan talking to me about the difference between accent and intelligibility. And with that, I want to introduce one of the regular segments that's going to appear on this podcast, Busting Myths About Second Language Learning. Our first myth is one we just mentioned, the idea that an accent can be completely eliminated. In their research in 2009, Tracy Derwing and Murray Monroe describe some examples of what they call, quote, charlatanism and quackery, such as guarantees that a person can lose their accent in 28 days, or that speaking all the letters in a word is crucial for intelligibility and other nonsense claims. Can you imagine trying to speak all the letters in the word through? Quackery aside, research has shown that it's extremely unlikely for a person who started learning their second language as an adult to sound completely like a native speaker. However, there's a lot of empirical evidence that even with a non-native accent, a person can be intelligible. 
So if anyone has told you that speaking with a mouthful of marshmallow or anything like that will get rid of your accent, we suggest being skeptical. Instead, focus on what will help you be understood. The last segment in this episode is an interview with a Baruch student. All of our students have some pretty amazing stories to tell, and we really want to showcase their voices in this podcast. Coming up in just a moment, DJ talks to Tenzin, a Tibetan student, who talks about the experiences that led her to where she is today. Our first interview in this series features a student by the name of Tenzin Jangchup, whom I met while conducting assessments for a communications course at the college. What first struck me about Tenzin was her calm, modest demeanor and the fact that she had an accent that I just couldn't place. Even on a campus as diverse as Baruch's, it's always fascinating to meet students with such varied linguistic backgrounds to find out how they came to learn English and what brought them to study in New York City. I sat down with Tenzin in the spring of 2017 to learn more. My name is um, Tenzin Changju, and, and, and I was born in China. I was uh, raised in India, and I am 23 years old, and um, right now I'm doing um, accounting. I went to um, a boarding school where there's, um, uh, like, it's... Tibetan boarding school mm-hmm. where there's a bunch of um, like same um, student like me who who has to stay there all year. And did you speak English there, or what languages did you speak? Um, basically, um, we uh, we write in English. English was our second language. I mean, they say that it is second language, but but we don't speak in English. We speak in. Um, our own language, and, and Hindi. Like so many non-native English speakers at the college, Tenzin went on to express her anxiety about speaking in class and contributing to group discussion. For most students, these anxieties revolve around a fear of finding the right vocabulary, being unintelligible, and perhaps judged for their lack of fluency. For Tenzin, the fear revolved around her slight stutter, but not in the way you might think. Her reasoning showed both a self-assured confidence and a concern for her fellow classmates. And if you do know the answer, um, mm-hmm. what stops you from raising your hand or answering a question? I think compared to the non-native <laughs> a speaker like me, I stutter, right? Uh, it's not like I don't want to say it. If I say it, maybe my... I'm not saying that my... Um, Classmate will think I am, you know, I, I stare and they will laugh at me. It's uh, it's not like that. I mean, it, it is okay because, um, like, it is okay to laugh at because they don't know about it. But I, w- I don't want to say it because it takes time. I'm like, you know, it wastes time to other people. You know, when I wow. say it, I mean, like, if, if there's, like, other student who knows the answer, she, and... and and they should answer, not, you know, like, it, it doesn't make sense for me. Our long conversation turned to pop music and how Tenzin and her friends took to printing out Taylor Swift lyrics to learn English words and phrasing, singing them endlessly until the phrases stuck in their minds. From there, we discussed Tenzin's love of books and poetry. 
her family's motives for moving to the United States years ago, and how, when she left India, she had to leave behind a lifetime of friends, deep connections to her home country, and, of course, some prized possessions. And, and so uh, when you first started writing poems, maybe, as you said, it was sort of an escape yeah. from reality. Yeah. But in some ways, does writing those poems also remind you Reminds, and, oh, and exactly. connect you to yes. your past? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think when, when you read your poem... Like you know what that time you're feeling, you know, like um, like feelings like like that. But right now I don't have those those book that I because when uh, uh, when we came here we only have twenty three kg to 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 bring the, the luggage. Oh, you twenty three kilograms. Yeah, twenty three yeah. kilograms to to take. So, so we don't, I mean, I can't put all my books and, you know, like things like that. I asked Tenzin if she'd share some of her writing with us. And though she nervously agreed to read a poem, her emotions soon surfaced and she found herself unable to finish. After a short break, we decided to end the interview on an upbeat note by discussing what inspires and drives her day to day. Well, I was just curious if there were, there were things about New York City, you know, that, that you love so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think every day I... I like to to come to college, pass by the uh, Madison Park, right? Madison Square Madison Park. Madison Grand yeah. Park, and pass over to the uh, the Sony and the Credit Suisse. Oh, right, make, the, the Sony yeah, building and the Credit yeah, Suisse building. And those things make me um, feel like, oh, I have to do something. I have to, I mean, I have, they, they put you, like, a... Like a goal that said, I have to be, you know, like. They inspire you. Yeah, they, yeah. um, you should work in those big companies, you know, right. like like something like that. But and here, I think I, like uh, when you see the big big people going in suit, you know, I think it make me think, okay, I want to do that. I want <laughs> so, to do that too. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tenzin, it, it's been an absolute honor to talk to you Uh Um, thank you so much for agreeing Uh um, to talk to us and it was great to learn about more about you and Uh and your past Uh um, and where you're going thank you thank you for inviting me (laughs) you can find more on our interview with Tenzin including photos and her poems on our website at jtbc.baruch.cuny.edu So, as you can see, talking about accents is complicated. In this episode, we looked at the topic from the perspective of language learning and teaching. We emphasized intelligibility, and we explained how important it is to focus on being understood, not just eliminating an accent. So, like any long-term plan, you're more likely to be successful if you set achievable goals along the way. You have to plan specific outcomes you want, and be realistic in your expectations. So, what's the best way to make those plans if you want to improve your intelligibility? Or maybe you want to support English language learners in your classroom or in your community. The team at TFCS has designed some materials for you. You can work on your listening and speaking skills, learn new vocabulary, and improve your awareness of your strengths and challenges. Check out the supplemental materials uploaded alongside this episode on our website. We can't tell you how to feel about your accent if you have one. You may not like it, you may appreciate it, it may affect your confidence, or not at all. What we can tell you is that if you speak English as a second language, you're in the majority. 
because globally, there are almost twice as many non-native English speakers as there are native English speakers. It's the world's most spoken second language, and its community is incredibly diverse, crossing national, social, age, ethnic, and professional lines. This is all to say that the average English speaker probably speaks with a non-native accent, and accents in English are part of global communication. So whether you're a non-native speaker of English, a teacher of English as a second language, or someone who is just interested in language learning, we hope you learn from this episode on accents and intelligibility. This is the Just To Be Clear podcast, produced by the Tools for Clear Speech program at Baruch College in New York City. Join us next time for our second episode, Use It or Lose It, when two of our team talk about the experience of using a second language in real communities where it's spoken. And just to be clear, we appreciate you listening. See you next time. Just to be clear is brought to you by Baruch College of the City University of New York and by the Joseph Drown Foundation, whose goal is to assist individuals in becoming successful, self-sustaining, contributing citizens. The foundation is particularly interested in programs that break down any barrier that prevents a person from continuing to grow and learn. More at jdrown.org. Supplementary and educational materials, including archived episodes and worksheets for students, can be found at blogs.baruch.cuny.edu slash jtbc. More information on the Tools for Clear Speech program can be found at tfcs.baruch.cuny.edu. Just to be clear, is recorded at Baruch College's Newman Vertical Campus at 55 Lexington Avenue in New York City. This episode was produced by me, Kim Edmonds, by DJ Dolak, and by B. Colby Hamilton. We'd also like to extend a special thanks to Tristan Thorne, to our guest Tenzin Jangchup, and to Michelle Kaplan, who is the speech consultant who created the original materials that accompany this episode. Original music for Just To Be Clear was written, recorded, and produced by B. Colby Hamilton with help from Joe Anuda. Mm-hmm.